You are listening to Masters Decoded podcast series. I'm your host and the chief decoder, Anis Merchant. Through this podcast, I bring in guests who are successful in a different walk of life to decode and map out their careers and journeys with the hope that we gain all our learnings. The world around us is changing exponentially and how the impact of artificial intelligence, technology and other socio-economic factors have either influenced or enhanced my guest careers. Today's guest is Pankaj Rai, a well-known expert in analytics and banking and is currently the senior vice president strategy at Wells Fargo. Pankaj has been in the industry for last 27 years and started his career as a management consultant at Feedback Ventures in Delhi, India. Over the years, Pankaj has worked with GE, Dell, Standard Chartered Bank and ICICI Bank. A philosopher, great in networking and an avid marathon enthusiast. He definitely has a lot to give each one of us and I personally gained a lot from this conversation. Hey Pankaj, thanks for joining in uh, to the Masters Decoded podcast series. Really glad that you were able to make through the time. Uh, so, you know, for the benefit of the audience, would you want to go ahead and give a quick introduction about what your current role is and what you're currently doing at Wells Fargo? Thanks, Anis, and um, good to see you and talk to you this morning. Um, so currently I'm uh, working with uh, Wells Fargo in a strategy role uh, where the role of my team is to help Wells Fargo uh, leverage the potential of uh, our global offshore locations and they are primarily in uh, India and the Philippines. Uh, so we have uh, you know several uh, team members sitting in these locations doing technology operation type of work uh, and the idea is uh, how can we expand this much more over the next five years uh, something which many of our peers have done very well uh, and my team is to really uh, you know help uh, all these individuals who want to leverage these locations in the best possible way okay great and uh, how long has the setup been in wells fargo your department specifically it, did it get set up when you joined in or has it been there for a long time so i joined four years ago and I was uh, doing a, a strategy type of role, but uh, the role at that point in time was very local in nature. And we'll do things uh, based on what we think uh, was uh, appropriate. Uh, last year, in fact, uh, year before, uh, we set up at a global level a shared services uh, entity within the bank. And we became part of that entity. And since then, uh, this role became a more formal strategy role to leverage global delivery in the way I described. So in that sense, uh, what I described is just about a year, year and a half old, although I've been in the company longer than that. Great. Now, let's dial back a little bit. Uh, so I know a little bit about you and we've before we started having this conversation and recording it. Uh, you kind of gave a few perspectives. Uh, so if you don't mind sharing with the audience, uh, how did it all get started? Uh, I believe you've done your entire schooling in Delhi. But were you born in Delhi or how did you land up in Delhi? So if you can just touch base a little bit on that, that would be really nice to hear. Sure. I was uh, born on the day Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon. Uh, so a giant okay. leap for man. <laughs> uh, 
my my dad uh, used to work in a public sector company called fertilizer corporation and my early years were in a fertilizer factory town in gorakhpur in uttar pradesh and then of course uh, dad got promoted moved to head office in delhi uh, so the next 25 years of my life was uh, spent in delhi and then for a year i was in singapore with standard chartered bank and now i have been in uh, bangalore for uh, the last 15 years so i always have trouble when people ask me this question where are you from and uh, the the answer that i have so far found uh, easy to give is that my dad thinks he's from uh, up because he didn't live there that long although he was born there and raised there initially uh, i thought uh, i was from delhi because i had spent uh, half my life over there uh, but my daughters think they are from bangalore so now i'm siding with my daughters <laughs> <laughs> nice so uh, if you don't mind uh, and uh, something which i would love to hear a little bit uh, the influence of your dad's background on your career and uh, if i heard it right your dad was born and brought up in up and we all know that at that time uh, many years ago the prevalent of english as a medium in the in the education system didn't exist much across india so how and if you don't mind sharing with the audience what was your dad's education uh, from a language perspective what what it was yeah so my dad um, came from a rural background uh, in a very remote village we did not have um, electricity or toilets or any such thing uh, and uh, uh, he grew up uh, talking in bhojpuri which is the language used in uh, eastern uh, up uh, but uh, he was a smart kid uh, and he made it to um, iit bombay uh, uh, while uh, studying in banaras in his uh, you know early schooling Uh, and he landed up over there with knowing just one language bhojpuri so he picked up uh, hindi and english uh, both uh, over there and it's interesting how some of these uh, things play out in your life later on uh, i remember when we went to delhi uh, i was put into modern school barakhamba road and my dad always had this aspiration that uh, his two sons me and my younger brother of 2 years uh, go to iit so a lot of people asked him that you know how come you chose modern school i mean that's not the school necessarily which produces children who go to iit and his answer was that you know i'll make sure that uh, they study you know maths and science and all of that and uh, you know but uh, english is something i want to make sure that they study in the school and he remembered from his iit bombay class that there were quite a few people from modern uh, barakhamba who spoke very good english so he felt that let the school teach these kids english the rest of it um, i will teach them and show that they go to iit uh, by the way and he was a achiever in in his life he did a lot of good things and he also achieved what he wanted with his two kids because me and my brother were both packed off to iit delhi one after the other <laughs> nice nice so how was that uh, you know your background and i'm sure your family and everybody had an humble beginning so when you look at your the home and the school i'm sure they were not south from a environment perspective so you as an individual how did you kind of work around that was it okay yeah. like was it easy or what, did you have to kind of change yourself or think a little bit differently 
Yeah, so uh, you know the the school that I went to, and folks from Delhi will relate to more. Uh, is usually you know people from uh, you know rich or privileged uh, background will end up there. Uh, so folks in my class were uh, children of uh, you know IS officers, politicians, uh, um, you know what have you, businessmen, all of those, and most of them were far more uh, you know economically higher up uh, than what my dad was. So I could feel that you know while my dad was dropping me to school on a scooter. Uh, most of them were coming in, you know, cars which uh, kept changing uh, by the month and so on. And they would uh, live in uh, large uh, bungalows in uh, fancy localities, while we were living in what is called a barsati in Delhi, which is really a, you know, one room or one and a half room uh, apartment in uh, Greater Kalash. So there was a huge, uh, you know, economic uh, and social disparity in where I came from and where my friends in school came from. I think, uh, you know, what happened was that uh, I was uh, doing well in studies and that I think uh, you know created a sense of uh, equality if you may or respect from my friends and uh, you know I, I was never made to feel that uh, you know economic disparity although I could see it but uh, you know I had quite a few good friends who were fairly rich and you know I was invited to their home they would come to my home and it was never an issue and my guess is probably because some of them were <laughs> nice people and part of it is because, you know, I was doing well in studies. So there, I think uh, I was sort of quote unquote make up for my <laughs> lack of economics. <laughs> Great. So, you know, I think that's what the beauty of India is. Uh, you know, we are multicultural, multifaceted, as well as we all live and breathe around people who are from different uh, backgrounds. So I think that's also one of the key aspects of India that, uh, you know, I really love uh, because there's not um, much polarization as well as uh, distinguishing between people based on their socioeconomic backgrounds. Uh, So just a little fast forward and probably your first career. Uh, Did you choose it once you came out of your MBA uh, from IIM Ahmedabad, if I'm not mistaken, that was your college? Uh, did you choose the first job? Was it a campus job or uh, did you choose on your own? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, the companies would uh, come to campus and, you know, as you know, all of us would apply to, you know, every company that came, uh, uh, you know, first. So I probably got placed much later, I think, uh, day three or four because you know the early companies the McKinsey's and the investment banks and many of them uh, would choose people who either had uh, very high you know academic credentials or uh, very good sort of uh, from an all-rounder perspective you know personality or what have you Uh, I had neither uh, I was like mediocre in my uh, sort of academic pursuits uh, in the in the college, and I wasn't someone you know who was playing basketball or organizing marketing fairs and all of that. I was just a regular guy, so I didn't get placed in any of those uh, initial day companies. So towards the end, which was day four or something, I think I got offers from two companies. One was Feedback Ventures, and the other was uh, Wipro uh, in their lighting business in a sales role. And uh, I, I, I knew that sales would be very hard for me. I, I, I didn't uh, identify myself as a salesperson. And therefore, feedback was uh, chosen because it was consulting. In those days, consulting wasn't a big thing, but it appeared that uh, it would be analytical. You will think about things and advise people, all of that. And there were some seniors uh, of uh, mine who had gone there last year and they had come for placement. And, you know, so it was an impressive uh, sort of presentation. So some of us uh, in college uh, joined that company. And, you know, I had a great time uh, for the initial two years that I worked there. Okay. 
And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I looked up LinkedIn, this company is actually in infrastructure management. Uh, so is that correct? So the company started off, you know, because those days were the liberalization days and a lot of companies uh, from the outside were trying to come to India. They were Indian companies also trying to diversify, taking advantage of liberalization. So the company had a few different divisions. Uh, I was in a division uh, which, you know, was called Venture Scan. Uh, and so we had to basically scan the environment to look for new venture opportunities uh, to suggest to either Indian corporates or foreign companies. But there were other divisions which were uh, infrastructure and, you know, strategy and some others. And over time, the company focused a lot more on infrastructure and then got to be known as an infrastructure company. But when it started and when I joined, I was doing a bunch of different things and I was in the scanning division. <laughs> okay. So uh, this is massive because at that time, that industry itself was not that big or well-known amongst the corporate, especially. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong, what were the, or if you can double click a little bit, what were the you know, first few years of your career? You've just come out of MBA uh, and you know, this industry is new, uh, this role is new. How did, how did you cope up with everything being new around you? Yeah, you know, I mean, when you look back now and, you know, when I look at uh, choices that our children or the current uh, millennials are facing, I think our life was quite simple. You know, the the choices were really binary, even early days, you know, engineering and uh, in being a doctor were the two choices. You know, so usually we had very few choices. And in general, I find that uh, one of them, either you didn't get or you didn't like, and the default was the other one. So life was quite simple because like in, in my engineering and, uh, you know, doctor days, you know, I just couldn't relate to biology. And uh, it was just that I didn't love engineering, but because I hated biology, engineering became the default option. And uh, between Feedback Ventures and Wipro, I just didn't think I could do sales. So feedback became the default choice. So I think most of the choices in my life have been made, or I think in my generation, several people have had a similar situation where they either didn't like or get one. And the other one seemed like the natural choices. So I think it was more by elimination than by passion that many of us made life choices. And over time, I think, uh, uh, you know, they grew on us and we over time started to like them. In fact, I would uh, put our arranged marriage in the same category as well. Great. So if I, meaning there is, and I'll touch upon some things which you said here about arranged marriage and few of the things, um, you know, as we go through this conversation. But if I look at your first job and this uh, current job, which you have with Wells Fargo, somewhere there is a lot of parallels and there's a lot of similarity in the strategy role which you're performing at Wells Fargo. But if I look at the other careers, whether it was with ICICI or with GE and Dell, uh, the last job before your Wells Fargo uh, and even Standard Chartered Bank in between, how each of them evolved, were they by choice or accident? Or I would say, you know, people, a lot of people tell me luck, uh, a big favor. So how did you kind of, was it, and how these choices influenced your career, your personal life as you moved along? Yeah, I think um, I always had trouble answering a very, uh, you know, often asked question in those days and maybe last today as well. What do you want to be after five years, 10 years or whatever? And I had no idea because I could never relate to such a long time frame. Uh, I could only think about here and now and maybe the next year. Uh, so most of my career choices were, you know, career changes were driven by. I was somewhere probably getting uh, saturated or bored in my job. Uh, 
And then there was someone in that target company who knew that and said, hey, you know what, where I am, uh, there might be an opportunity for you to come here. And this might, you know, reignite uh, your career and your interest, whatever you're doing. So all my job changes have been with uh, someone who I knew in the target company and they called me over. And uh, I don't think, uh, you know, headhunters uh, made money on my career moves. <laughs> Interesting. So, uh, so uh, you know, and I, something which probably is very timely as well. Uh, this week uh, saw uh, a big passing away of Jack Welch, who basically is known for his impact in GE and globally as well. And when I say globally, a lot of GEIs who came out of GE have made a big significant impact within the industry. And ironically, I was talking to somebody earlier this week about how GE was a leadership factory where they churned leaders. And, you know, there was some innate culture within that company. So, you know, if you can spend a few minutes and talking about your thought process on GE and, you know, what it gave you um, as and which you hopefully really like about and cherish about as you traverse the career. Can you talk a little bit and share with the audience how GE has impacted that? Absolutely. I think uh, GE was a fantastic company. That was my first experience of also working in a multinational environment because before that I had worked in uh, feedback and um, ICICI and GE was the first uh, MHC that I worked in. So there are so many things that I learned over there, which I still uh, sort of talk about. And Jack Welch clearly was a great leader and we learned a lot. I mean, just like every great leader, uh, whether it is Gandhi or Jack, there'll be things that they probably, uh, you know, didn't do well. Or in hindsight, uh, people interpreted them to be the wrong things. But my own view is that, you know, all individuals and human beings are a bundle of, uh, you know, choices that they have made, uh, values that they stand for. And they're all a bundle of contradictions. So I think the way I look at individuals is, how do I pick up uh, the goodness in them and not worry about, you know, all the badness that all of us carry along. Uh, so from Jack Welch, I learned the four E's of leadership, which I still utilize in my own way. And it still, still, still stays with me. Energy, energize, edge and execute. You know, I look at that framework as a great one to, you know, judge uh, and, and evaluate people. Uh, his uh, framework of, uh, you know, Ranking people has has learned, you know uh, earned a bad name, but I do think that uh, you know utilized properly it does give you some uh, you know signals. You don't necessarily have to fire all the bottom performers, but you know you can do uh, use that uh, that framework in the way that you like the succession planning, session C, business planning. There's so many things: boundaryless behavior, Six Sigma. Uh, I think there are a host of management principles, leadership that G and Jack Welch taught me that still stay with me. Uh, Clearly, uh, many of those principles uh, had to evolve or change or die over time, which everything should. And sometimes uh, evaluating people um, based on the current lens may not always be relevant because uh, you have to judge people at that point in time with their peer group and their context and so on. So I do see these days a lot of articles eulogizing him and there are many others who are very, very critical of him. I think, you know, he was somewhere in between. He did a lot of good things. I'm sure he made mistakes. And I'm sure if he were alive, he would admit to those mistakes as well, uh, which is what I think I admire in someone that, you know, you're able to, uh, you know, acknowledge your mistakes, learn from it and so on. Great. So since you spoke about these mistakes, uh, you know, when I look at your career, it's been 27 years now. Have there been stories or areas where you have 
had either failures or you know you have committed when you look back there were mistakes committed by you and what were the key learnings if you don't mind sharing? Yeah. yeah, so I have a hard time uh, uh, remembering my mistakes or weaknesses because these are questions often asked. What have you, what mistakes have you made and what have you learned? Uh, what are your weaknesses and how to improve upon them? Uh, and the reason I'm unable to do those things is that I've never had, uh, you know, goals of the nature that many other people have and therefore say, you know what, uh, you know, I was supposed to do this and I made a mistake and all of that. To me, the way I interpret life is that, uh, you know, I'm trying to do something and trying to do to the best of my ability. And uh, in, in retrospect, when I look back, there would have been things that I couldn't do, but I don't, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, belabor around that. And I will, you know, learn from some of those experiences. I would not call them mistakes and try to continue to evolve. So there aren't, uh, you know, any mistakes or regrets in my life so far. And the way I think about life is, I doubt if there ever will be, because the way I interpret life is that, you know, you are doing the best you can. And sometimes uh, that best is not enough and things don't happen the way they should. But uh, that doesn't mean that you need to worry about it. You know, reflect, look at uh, what are some of the learnings and experiences and move on and go ahead. So that's my view on the, that uh, mistake part of it. Uh, and I think it all starts from what your purpose is. How do you define what you intend to do? And my purpose uh, explicitly always has been uh, that I need to do my best to make an impact on the uh, lives of people around me, the organization that is, uh, you know, paying my bills, uh, the environment that I live in. And it's all about, uh, you know, uh, doing and uh, giving back or, uh, you know, making an impact. And uh, obviously there's more I could do, but, uh, you know, I don't uh, belabor about uh, having, uh, you know, have regrets of not doing more. Um, I try to do the best I can. So that's how I have been interpreting life so far. Great. So, you spoke about, you know, you've always been somebody who's embraced what has come to you. So in your career, you did uproot yourself. And was it your family as well who moved to Singapore along with you? Or was it just you alone who did that? Yeah, so I think when I was in uh, GE, I was uh, assigned uh, by my boss to work on a project to develop a business plan for GE to go external. They were an internal captive company. And that exposure, uh, you know, gave me an understanding of the whole offshoring industry. And then there was a friend of mine who introduced me to uh, uh, someone in Standard Chartered Bank, uh, Romy Malhotra. And, uh, you know, he hired me there in uh, Chennai where they were setting up scope. Uh, mm -hmm. But he left uh, very quickly. His boss, uh, who was in Singapore, uh, you know, asked me to come and join him in Singapore and be the business manager for the offshoring uh, entity called Scope. Uh, so initially, my family, you know, would have moved to Chennai, uh, but my younger daughter was born and they waited for some time. But by that time, the, the destination changed and we actually moved for a year. And uh, in that one year, uh, you know, Romy had actually moved to Dell and he invited me to come to Bangalore and work for him over there. Uh, so my offshoring journey, which uh, began in Scope, uh, led me to Dell and then uh, later on now to Wells Fargo. Because prior to that, I used to be a uh, corporate banker or a risk management professional who was lending money, uh, underwriting credit and so on. So from strategy to financial, then getting into a technology industry. But before we get into Dell and the career at Dell, uh, did I get it right? that your family didn't move along with you in Singapore. Is that correct? They did. They did. They did for a year. Okay. They didn't move to Chennai. 
my first six months in scope, uh, they did move to uh, Singapore, which was a great place. And we used to joke that uh, Singapore is the best city to live in India because it was just a four-hour flight away. <laughs> yeah, uh, I also believe in that. So, you know, new family, new kid, and a new job. You know, today I hear from a lot of people uh, in that career, oh, you know, we've just had a marriage or, you know, we just have a new entrant in our family as kids, you know, and they take a little cautious steps in taking those difficult career choices, which is moving away from the comfort setup, which they may have within a city or a state or a country. How did that work out for you? And how the surrounding, when I say surrounding, the family either influenced your future decisions or your current job at uh, Stand Chartered Bank? That's a you know good question. I think uh, some of these uh, things that you speak about didn't even <laughs> cross our minds. So I think it's probably in those days, we were just focused on what's the next best thing that we can do. And if there are hardships, you know, we will make it happen. So I think this discussion uh, never happened that should we do this or not. I do remember that my wife was a bit concerned initially that she would have to move to Chennai because sitting in Delhi, Chennai looks very far away and also appears that... Uh, if you did not know Tamil, you'll have a hard time living there. So those notions did sort of uh, cross her mind and she was worried. But then she made a trip. In fact, we had even seen a house and got my daughter school admission um, in Chennai uh, at that point in time. Uh, but then things changed. And when we moved to Singapore, I don't think anyone complained about moving to Singapore. <laughs> it's a great city. So I'm sure nobody complains about that. But then from Singapore coming to Bangalore, um, definitely Bangalore now is very different. But at that time, Bangalore was beautiful too. So how did that transition back? Because as you made a comment, Delhi to Chennai looked pretty far. Delhi to Bangalore also may be far off. So how did that uh, work out? Were there any convincing you had to do to your family? Or was it, as you said earlier, it was natural? Yeah, so I think, you know, the, it was all based on my career move because I said that uh, since I'm not uh, going to be in banking, and Singapore is really a banking center. And if I have chosen to be in the offshoring world, I better be in the hubs where offshoring works. And Bangalore had you know, already been emerging as a hub for offshoring type of work. It was always known to be a good uh, sort of city, uh, good weather, you know, nice people, very uh, you know, cosmopolitan and so on. So I don't think my family had any issues with Bangalore um, as a city choice. And I myself... Uh, had been coming to Bangalore once in a while because one of my uncles had lived there. So I have seen the city, uh, you know, I had positive feelings about that. So again, Bangalore wasn't hard to sell. Uh, yeah, clearly, getting out of Singapore is always hard to sell. But when you decided that your, you know, career does not lie in that city and you have to move out, among all the choices, I thought <laughs> Bangalore was probably one of the best. Great. So, you know, there's one philosophy I have, uh, and I, you know, I do see some of that playing in, I'm not trying to force my philosophy here. You know, when we all get into our first job, you know, it, there is some excitement, there is some halo effect, which we all have, but then we slowly start understanding what we want to do next. And then we land up into the second phase of our career, which is evolving our interest. And then the third phase is more about that interest somewhere becomes passion and then the passion kind of we want to live for a long time now definitely uh, you know i see some of that strands in your career as well uh, and you started talking a little bit about when at ge you kind of got exposed to offshoring 
was offshoring that interest or was it something else which kind of started developing which got you excited and you continue to do that at Wells Fargo as well yeah i think that's a good question and i've reflected on what is the common theme that has driven my life and career so to say and my guess is and you know sometimes it's very hard to even know uh, you know who you are and how you think it's sometimes others who can tell you that uh, but my guess is that uh, it's more the uh, the people and the purpose uh, for which they have come together and i think uh, in all of the roles that i have done within the company or uh, moved around that has been uh, constant so i have always uh, liked the people that i worked with and the purpose for which we have come together and that purpose or those people could be anyone or anything uh, so my next job could be uh, you know doing anything else it doesn't matter whether it is offshoring or money lending as long as that team that i'm working with uh, i can gel with and we can then together you know create the future or you know follow the pers- pursuit of the purpose that we all came together for so i don't think i can relate to uh, any specific industry or business function um, uh, doesn't matter great so you sp- you focus on that point about people and passion uh, and you did give a reference of your manager at in the name of romi malhotra who was at stand charter and he uh, got you to join stand charter in chennai and then when he moved on to dell uh you also moved along with him was he your mentor would you classify him your mentor or were there somebody else who over the years you look up to um and are there certain learnings or certain things which you draw out of those individuals yeah you know whichever uh, you know in, so i have actually moved industries if you may and mm-hmm. you know whoever has been the initial uh, person who uh, sort of uh, i came in touch with tend to became uh, become the mentors for that industry because i didn't know anyone and they were the role models because they had hired me uh, so while i was in feedback ventures you know the the founders uh, vinayak and ram uh, my b- first boss uh, you know hari nair and uh, you know uh, anil chopra so there were several people uh, that were initially in those places which i learned a lot from because they were there and they were all very different and i learned a lot of things uh, on what to do and also what not to do. Uh, then i came over to icsa and my first boss was uh, baba grover while i was also interviewed by sandeep bakshi who is now the uh, md over there so again i learned a lot from uh, you know these bosses but frankly we learn a lot also from our peers and seniors who may not be our bosses and i had the fortune of having a great set of colleagues both in feedback and in icsi and i have to say that you know later on also in uh, ge and every other company that i worked for so i think it's that group of people whether they are your bosses or mentors or peers or uh, people who actually report into you all wrong uh, i think i have learned from all of them and i keep always keep looking to learn from everyone who's around me so uh, there's one thing which i really love about you and i've been knowing and i've been i've known you for many years now and one thing i really see that the quality of networking and connecting with people really personally uh, and you know if i go ahead and ask anybody who know you they would say pankaj is a great guy but if i kind of take a step back and you did mention you did kind of touch upon it that in your mba you were kind of involved in the setting up marketing activities you know uh, probably doing some uh, conferences or shows within your college and 
that you did say that you were not great in your studies, but you did participate in extracurricular activities. I do, I do see a thread of that uh, across the journey. And you also made a point that many recruiters or consultants didn't earn your fee of uh, placing you in those companies. And you mainly got jobs in uh, because of references or people whom you were aware. Uh, you know, do you, how important do you see the role of networking or building relationships? Because today the definition of relationship has evolved also. So, uh, you know, I, I actually didn't participate in any extracurricular activities either. So nor okay. was I, neither was, was I studying, nor was I doing any extracurricular wow. activities. Okay. But I had nothing to show either in my engineering degree or my MBA degree. But, you know, uh, the, the, the colleges that I went to, which was IIT Delhi and Ahmedabad, they are, you know, premium brands, as you know. So I think uh, those brands do carry value. And over time, you know, people will in general judge you saying, hey, if you went to those colleges, you must be good. Uh, so I think some of that luck or some of that uh, benefit we all carry. You know, uh, so, so I do think that uh, many of these things which uh, we don't realize do create an impression about us. And people give us the benefit of doubt. And it's up to us to sort of <laughs> prove them wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I, 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 I wasn't a networker at all. In fact, if you were to talk to people in my school or college, uh, you know, my <laughs> dad was forcing me to study maths and get into IIT. So there was no time for networking. There was no time to watch TV. And uh, that continued for long. I think over time, uh, maybe I was just curious, uh, wanted to know more. And, uh, you know, in general, helpful also. I think some of those uh, qualities I probably picked up from my mom that over time people started to like me because I was uh, non-threatening because I didn't have a purpose to achieve and therefore uh, go over someone. I was just <laughs> being whatever I was. So I think that non-threatening nature was probably uh, useful for other people to uh, come closer to me because I was just happy to help everyone because I didn't have any purpose for my own self. And that I think became clearer to people. So I think that network probably grew perhaps, and I, it's very hard to say why, that uh, people felt that they can only uh, sort of uh, get benefit from me and not necessarily be threatened by me. Uh, mm -hmm. So that is guess why the network has grown. Interesting. So would you recommend to the audience that networking is important? I do hear that, you know, today when you are driving to work, you do take time out to talk to people. Uh, and so do you see networking important as you grow further in your career? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of one of the Simon Sinek's uh, talk called The Golden Circle where he draws three circles and says what, how, and why. So I think networking and some of these things are in the you know what and how category. I think you have to start with the why. Saying what is mm -hmm. it that you want to do? Since I had no necessarily specific goals for myself, but I was curious to learn. I was, uh, you know, I got so, uh, you know, happy when I was uh, help people. So I think that why or that purpose allowed me to network. So I wouldn't say that you should choose networking for the sake of it. I think you have to start with your own why. What is it that you want to achieve? And if networking can play a role in that, surely. Because, because I worry that, you know, I'm many a times called upon to uh, <laughs> teach people or lecture them on networking. And I never, uh, you know, myself uh, went out to become a networker myself. I just became that by accident because that was serving a purpose that I was, uh, you know, pursuing. So my view is that, you know, you should have a reason why you want to network. And you can't be uh, networking just like that. Uh, mm -hmm. So I do sort of uh, 
give people one tip and say that you know you have to try it out and see if it works for you and that tip is to say that if you are you know going to meet someone you know think of three things that you try to achieve one is uh, share with them something that they would be curious about interested to know i'm sure you know something that they would like to know so share that uh, seek advice from them on something that you know you are working on and they are good at so in some senses uh, establishing a symbiotic relationship uh, a barter type of relationship between the two of you and in the end offer to help so my view is if you are able to do this several times and you enjoy doing that i think networking will flow on its own and you don't have to put effort into doing it but you need to find a reason why you need to do that there's a very interesting trend i'm seeing and as a deep ingrained thought uh, is that the inclination to learn and i saw that coming across in your in this conversation today uh, and today you know people talk about learning so i would put it as uh, you as a you are a life learner so what uh, what areas excite you when you think about learning and uh, what areas you don't it doesn't excite you or doesn't motivate you yeah you know in in general i'm uh, you know earlier i was of course an engineer mba and i would read uh, business books and so on uh, i didn't read engineering books as much as i read business books uh, uh so but over time i started reading uh, you know about history or getting interested in many different things philosophy so i don't know whether there's a uh, there's a uh, you know boundary that you know i want to learn only this and that uh, but in general i i am not so interested in you know highly uh, technical things so for example when i was in the data analytics field um, i thought that uh, let me learn um, ai and machine learning because that was the theme which was emerging at that point in time and at that time uh, andrew ung's course was very popular everyone had uh, you know taken mm-hmm. it and it was great uh, so i also enrolled on coursera for that uh, you know course but after two or three times uh, you know i just didn't enjoy it at all somehow it didn't interest me so i gave it up uh, similarly at one point in time when i was in g uh, jack welsh and uh, had uh, those days promote the scene all of them used to play golf so bunch of us thought you know what the best way to climb the corporate ladder would be to learn golf so some half a dozen of us uh, started to learn golf and i went four five times i didn't enjoy it so then i gave it up so my view is that you know uh, i try many things but sometimes they don't uh, you know interest me beyond a point and then i give it up uh, but i continue to look for new things to learn from people i browse uh, ted talks i will go through youtube videos of uh, different individuals and so on uh, i have a hard time reading so that has been a challenge because somehow i just don't get any time to read because there's so many people around me to talk to and uh, when there's a choice between reading a book and uh, you know talking to an individual i always choose the latter so books have always taken a back seat uh, so last book i read was uh, sapiens the next mm-hmm. book which is uh, waiting to be read is a uh, book uh, by uh, anand giridharas which uh, which is uh, about uh, you know uh, capitalism called uh, winners take all so the choice of these books is also based on friends of mine you know who who i relate to who i like and they say hey, you need to read this book and so on uh, so i read very few books because i just don't get the time and don't have the patience uh, to do that because there's always someone live who i can talk to and i enjoy doing that so yeah i i, I can learn about anything as long as hopefully it is not too technical <laughs> great so you know we all are busy today technology has really and as you said today the paucity of time kind of compels you to take decisions so how do you get into your zen mode how do you balance your day to day 
personal, professional. I read a very interesting article which talks about a healthy mind platter, which talks about physical, something which you are passionate about, learning, professional, connecting with people. It has very interesting elements of which each one of us uh, have to adopt uh, to go ahead and keep our mind engaged on a day-to-day basis. What are your hacks? What is your Zen mode to kind of get you energized every day? I think I'm always in a Zen mode. And the reason I say that is that, uh, you know, I uh, have no, uh, you know, big uh, aspirations of the future. And I forget the past so quickly that I can't tell you. So the only option I have is to be in the moment where I am. So I don't think I have planned it that way. But over time, I have realized that uh, there is no future and there is no past in my head. The, the present is the only thing which stays. So I'm not carrying, uh, you know, regrets from the past. I'm not carrying some aspiration of the future that I will not achieve and, you know, worry about will I, will I achieve that goal or not. And since those two do not exist, I tend to be in the present. And I suppose that's what they call the Zen mode to be. Great. Great. So uh, today you come across a lot of folks uh, within your organization and outside who are starting their career or just initiating their career. And you do mentor and coach a lot of individuals. Uh, if you have to now with the industry trends and how you spoke about AI and technology, uh, what would you recommend to the audience that they should adopt as part of the career and how they should think about building their careers? So the most uh, recent one has been, and I have written an article about it, it was about uh, you know my... Uh, guidance to my daughter a few years ago, which then uh, elevated to become a uh, guidance to me and then maybe a guidance to everyone else. And that's the 5C framework, which is about curiosity, uh, leading to compassion, leading to conviction in what you want to do, uh, then uh, creativity, and finally communication. So these five Cs, you know, starting from curiosity and ending in communication, and then fueling that virtual cycle, virtuous cycle of continuing to learn, uh, to me, I can relate to, uh, although I had, uh, you know, created that for my daughter, I think it is probably uh, relevant for all of us in uh, today's day and age. Very interesting framework. Uh, and I'll definitely look up that article and probably share it as part of the podcast with the larger audience. Uh, you know, it's been 27 years. And I'm, I don't want to sound old, but let's say if you today have a time machine, like the Avengers movie, Time Machine. And if you have to go back and think about doing this in half of the time which you probably took, uh, is it possible? Would you want to do that first? Or are there things which probably makes it possible today that you can probably do it in half the number of years to get where you are? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, that uh, line of thinking uh, will be true uh, when the assumption is that you have a purpose and you want to achieve that purpose faster. But mm-hmm. given that there was purpose to start with, uh, and I didn't uh, choose to be here at this point in time, and I don't know where I would like to be. In fact, if I had another life, I would like it to be totally unexpected, uh, nothing to do with what I have done before <laughs> and something like that. So I don't uh, relate to the idea of uh, you know doing it all over again uh, faster than shorter. Because if I have to do it all over again, I'll do something else <laughs> and get a different <laughs> experience. Because this experience I've already got. And like I said, since I didn't intend to do any of the things, uh, many of the things have happened by luck. Uh, it, it, again, I can't relate to saying 
how could I do it faster? Because you know these are all a series of coincidences, accidents, which have led it to this place. And I think it's so exciting when you don't know the future and it is unfolding in unexpected ways. So I find that more exciting than doing a pre predictable activity faster. So, uh, you know, you did speak about something else, probably if you if you have another life or if you probably, what would that be? I'm just curious now uh, that if you're given a choice and you do something else, what would that be? Yeah, and, and like I said, totally unexpected. I don't want to know. I don't go okay. to a, a to show my horoscope or my hand because I think the the unexpected uh, and the ability to deal with that unexpected and make meaning out of it is what is exciting. So I'm quite happy that the uh, the, the next 50 years, hopefully if I can live another 50 years, uh, should be totally unexpected and whatever come my way, I can create meaning out of it and so on. So uh, so I think I also find it very interesting that people want to do things faster and earlier while life expectancy is going in the other direction. So I would have expected them to say, you know, I have a long life of 100 years, let me do it slower. Why faster? So I still don't know the answer of why people are running faster when life expectancy is going longer. Very interesting. I read an interesting article today with everything going around right now in the current scenario. It gives us and each one of us an opportunity to slow down. You know, today we are having restrictions of travel. Uh, technology has evolved us to connect like what we are connecting today without being in person, but also kind of taking a step back and slowing down. Uh, probably the nature is telling us today. I think as human beings, we all need to slow down. So that's an interesting... Yeah. I think so as well that, you know, people are chasing something and maybe they are real and meaningful things, but uh, I'm unable to relate to those chases. <laughs> uh, Pankaj, it's been great talking to you. Uh, so I think from our, I'm sure you've uh, touched upon many areas which uh, our listeners would definitely take some bits which probably will enhance their career. Are there things which you feel I should cover or you know, things which you would want to kind of share, which I may have in touched today? Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, the, the one thing that I see is that uh, people are uh, taking decisions based on uh, their seniors or their mentors' uh, experiences or uh, based on their own experiences based on past data. Uh, so, so what I keep uh, thinking about and also talking about is that the world is changing in such rapid ways and we all agree to that. Uh, then uh, why do you want to base your decisions on past data? I mean, I keep talking to people about careers and then everyone is trying to say, oh, I want a good brand to work for. I want to have a career path. And I'm saying that, you know, when the, when the corporate system does not have a path and it has become a random walk, how can you have a path? There is no path which was defined in the past will hold true. So, so I, I just want to say that uh, try to move away from frameworks and approaches that were embedded in the past because everyone agrees at the highest level that the world today is totally different from what it was in the past. And if it is totally different, why apply the same frameworks that were created in the past? I mean, even look at uh, you know economic theory. I don't remember reading about negative interest rates. Um, you know, uh, many of these things that AI, ML and are doing are just totally disruptive. We all grew up in G talking about continuous improvement, but now it is the world of continuous disruption. 
So again, the framework that were created in the past don't hold true anymore. So I do think that, you know, we have all been applying uh, Newtonian theory to our careers and we need a quantum theory and each one will have to determine their own quantum theory to determine their career versus follow the Newtonian theory developed in the past. Great. Uh, that's a very interesting, uh, probably parting thought from your side. So Pankaj, thanks a lot for taking time out. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And um, it's always a pleasure to listen to you speak. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for taking time out. Uh, hopefully, you will enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Great. Talk to you soon. Next time. Bye. Thank you for listening in. And we close yet another episode of Master's Decoded. If you've enjoyed the episode, please, you can help us out by sharing it on social media. I would personally appreciate that. It's how we can reach more listeners, and the more listeners we have, the more awesome guests I can get in touch and convince to participate in these conversations. That are a joy to have for me, and I hope they are a joy for you to listen as well. You can also help a lot, leaving reviews on iTunes or your podcast service of choice. Reviews are surprisingly helpful in supporting the podcast to get to more listeners. If this episode has intrigued you, I would request you to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date and get notified to the future episodes. With that, I bid you and see you in the next episode.